Welcome back to Alluring Is It Still podcast. I want to thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. And if this is your first time joining me, welcome. I am so glad you could be here today. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy this episode, would you share it with a friend? You can also follow me on Facebook and Instagram where I share short devotionals as well as videos to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. If you're looking for some good resources for deepening your faith, just visit sitstillmydaughter.com where you will find blog posts, free Bible reading plans, and other helpful information. Be sure to sign up to receive the monthly newsletter called A Quiet Moment where I share a special devotional as well as some recommendations for tools and tips that can help you in your quiet time. There is also a contact page on my website where you can submit questions or prayer requests. I would love to pray for you or help in any way I can. All of these links can be found in the show notes, so be sure to take a peek after the episode. Are you ready for the answer to the Bible trivia question I asked you last week? Who saw a vessel descending with four-footed beasts, creeping things, and fowl? The answer is Peter, and found in Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 12. Our question for next week is, who had bodyguards that could throw and shoot with either hand? Who had bodyguards that could throw and shoot with either hand? And remember, I will have the answer for you on the next episode. Repetition is something that I like to keep an eye out for when reading my Bible. For instance, I have been writing down every verse that mentions the will of God so that I can go back and study it later. When reading chapter 1 of Ephesians, I noticed that the phrase praise of his glory was used twice along with a similar phrase praise of the glory. There are also four mentions of the phrase in heavenly places in the book as well. I believe it is important to pay attention when something is mentioned more than once or if something is expanded upon such as the trio faith, hope, and love, which is the subject for today's episode. You may be familiar with them as they are mentioned in the closing of the famous love chapter found in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three And the greatest of these is charity. Each of these traits play a key role in our Christian life and are rooted in Jesus. Our faith is found in him and should be lived out for his glory. Our hope is rooted in the knowledge that he is coming again and that when we die, we will be taken into his presence. Charity or love comes only from God as he is our source, the one who loved us first and enables us to love others. This love will remain throughout all eternity because when we enter into our heavenly home, God's love will be there and it will remain. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, Paul gives us an insight into the tangible expression of this trio. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Did you catch them? Work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. Each of these words has been attached to an action, and I want to unpack them with you today. Let's start with the work of faith. The word work carries the idea of a good deed, a noble action that is wrought by faith, the course of conduct which springs forth from faith. 
This definition may sound familiar to those who have read the book of James, specifically chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. Now, I love the book of James because it speaks very plainly and often rather bluntly. His emphasis in these verses is to drive home one simple point. Faith must produce works or it is dead. He gives us two examples, one of Abraham and one of Rahab, both who lived their lives by faith coupled with action. They did not just say they had faith. They moved according to their faith. When the spies came to Rahab, she knew who they were and why they had come. Their God was about to hand them the victory over Jericho and really the entire land of Canaan. And her people were terrified. She sheltered the two spies because she knew that they served the one true God. Rahab had a working faith. James spells out Abraham's working faith in verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect. This is in reference to the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham was not afraid to trust in God's promises and claim them by faith. God said that through Isaac, Abraham would be the father of many nations. So he knew that if God asked him to offer his only son as a sacrifice, he had a plan to revive him. That is a working faith, a faith that moves forward and produces something. What about our faith? Is it evidence in our life? by the things we do or how we live day to day? Has our faith changed our behavior and made us more like Christ? Would people say that we were Christian by how we acted? Are we compassionate toward others? Speak with kindness, live humbly, exercise self-control in our behavior and love others, and the list could go on. An act of faith should produce this in our lives, especially the longer we are saved. Paul was praising the believers in the Thessalonians because they were doing that and more. But what I found interesting is the fact that this church was founded by Paul during his second missionary journey, but he had only been able to remain with them for a short time. Some have even said it may have only been three weeks. This congregation of believers grabbed hold of Paul's words and transformed them into action. Think about that. They took it seriously. But what about us? Many of us, including myself, have been raised in church. I have grown up hearing a host of sermons preached, but what good does that do me if I don't let it change my life so that I can reflect Christ to a watching world? My friends, having a working faith is one way we make a difference in this dark world. If our lives don't back up our lips, it will have little to no effect. We must have a working faith that can be seen so that we can shine for our Lord. Next, Paul highlights their labor of love. Have you ever had someone make you something and they called it a labor of love? That is in some ways what the apostle is saying here. The word labor means labor to which love prompts and which voluntarily issues and endures trouble and pains for the salvation of others. It implies toil that is strenuous and sweat producing. Think about that for a moment. Each soul that is one to Christ is truly a labor of love. There should be no limit to the effort we put in to see a soul saved. I am sure that like me, 
You can think of a story or two that you've heard where someone was saved because of the effort of another. Norma McCorvey, the famous poster child from the Roe vs. Wade trial on abortion, published her life story, which included her salvation testimony in a book called One by Love. She had no interest in God and believed that the feeling was mutual until she met a man whose name was Flip Benham. He owned his own bar before accepting Christ as his savior, and he wanted others to know about God's amazing love, especially Norma. Flip's labor to win Norma to Christ was prompted by God's love, and it was at times a strenuous and sweat-producing effort, but it was all worth it when Norma finally realized that God really did care about her, and he loved her with a love that is greater than anything she had ever known. That is the labor of love Paul expects from every believer, a love that would prompt us to action to invest in others and endure trouble and pain just so that others can be saved. Countless missionaries illustrate this truth to us. Names like Adoniram Judson and Hudson Taylor come to my mind. These men labored strenuously for Christ, and they don't even know how many have come to know God because of their willingness to serve. But here's the question, are we willing to do the same? To have such a labor of love toward those God brings into our life or calls us to serve? May we be willing vessels who are prompted by love to reach others for Christ no matter the cost. Finally, I want to talk about patience of hope. The word patience means steadfastness, constancy, endurance. And the word hope carries the idea of, of course, hope, an expectation in a person. The rest of the verse confirms this, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope is Jesus, just as the Majesty Music song sings about so lovely. A hope that is anchored securely because of who the source is. Paul spoke of the Thessalonians as having an enduring, steadfast hope, one that was immovable, unshakable. And we can too, because Jesus is the same as he was back in Paul's day. This hope is what gives us comfort, even in the darkest days, a hope that knows one day Christ will return or we will leave this earthly body and death and go to be in his presence. We must be steadfast, constant, Enduring until the day he calls us home, we must press forward in our earthly race, seeking to fulfill the purpose he has given us and bring glory to his name. Satan will do his best to hinder us, hurt us, and hush us, but he can never take away our hope. Only we can lose sight of the hope that has been given to us. We can waver and wobble, which is why we must remain in the word to remind and renew our hearts and mind of the truths of who God is and what he has promised to those who love him. May we be women who have patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and cling to that hope each and every day. And that is where we will end our episode for today. Have a wonderful day, my friends. Let's seek to be women who have a working faith, laboring love, and an enduring hope.